0: No. Mm-hmm.
1: Episode 28 of the, I guess that's why they call it, the Elton John podcast podcast. This episode is all about what you do when you reckon you've heard every song that Elton's ever released and most of the ones that he hasn't. You start digging around to try to find obscure edits, mixes and versions of the songs. Looking out for the differences that can sometimes tell you a bit of a story about how the songs were recorded and ultimately how they were adapted for different uses. We opened with a somewhat unfamiliar version of The Greatest Discovery with the French horn playing the introduction followed by a trumpet as opposed to Paul Buckmaster's cello. This version snuck out on a Portuguese reissue of the Elton John album which came out in 1980. I wonder whether this might have been the original plan for the intro. Think back to Elton's demo of the song. When he sings that instrumental part, he uses a trumpety kind of tone in his voice. So during those planning meetings for the album, that maybe they agreed to have brass in there and they tried it. But on the day, perhaps Paul said, I could do this with a bit more power um, with my cello. A good decision as it turned out and he also had to alter the string arrangement in the intro ever so slightly there's a difference there if you listen apart from that and apart from the longer pause before Elton starts his vocal this version is broadly the same the vocals the piano the acoustic guitar and the strings that come in in the second half of the song are the same as far as I can tell Can't be certain that the performances are exactly the same because the sound quality is quite poor. It's a decent transfer, courtesy of everyone's favourite YouTube uploader Ronnie Friend. It's just that this version's quite muddy. It seems to be down to the fact that this is an early, inferior mix of the song. The fact that someone from DJM was able to send out a master of the Elton John album with this erroneous mix on it is surprising. What's it doing in their library? Just how disorganized was that library, it also makes you wonder what other unique mixes might exist out there in the vaults. This mix also differs with this extended fade out. This is going to be a nerdy episode. Don't worry, it gets nerdier. I'm not going to be talking about the obvious alternate versions today. The remade songs where the early versions eventually got a conventional release. Things like Where Have All The Good Times Gone, Slave and Madman Across The Water. Today's going to be a bit of a deeper dive than that. I'm also not going to be talking about those single edits where all they've done is to skip out bits of intro and outro or rearrange sections. Some of them are long and tedious, some of them are brutal. I still remember the single edit of Voyeur where they surgically removed the heart of the song by getting rid of the solo. Um, sometimes though the producer or the engineer totally reimagines the song for its single edit and that was the case for Simple Life when it was extracted from The One and released in
0: 1993. On the, and the gone I'm
1: Chris Thomas clearly did some work on this, he sped it up, got rid of some of the synthesized bass, he generally lightened it up and cleaned it out, turning up the harmonica sound in the process as you'd expect. He also edited some sections taking it down from six and a half minutes to a much leaner five minutes. As I said this is a single edit so it's pretty clear Um, why Chris did what he did. He was trying to make it more light and more pop, a bit more danceable, more acceptable for radio. So there's no real story here. So I'll move on. Here's something altogether more mysterious. The uni mix of Tumbleweed Connection, specifically the song Where To Now St Peter, which had Elton's vocals double-tracked automatically, I think, in the chorus, also had someone heavily riding the volume of the piano in the chorus and some different guitar throughout, possibly, but particularly at the end. This one's a puzzler. I'd said that this was the US Unimix, but that isn't strictly true. According to a thread on the Steve Hoffman forums, this double-tracked vocal mix was initially released on the very first copies of the LP in the UK. Those copies have got an all-round better sound quality compared with the uni version, but unfortunately my needle drop comes from a uni pressing, which is a bit more compressed and flat sounding. Oh well. It's not just Where To Now St Peter that's different either on there. Apparently Country Comfort is appreciably different as well. I'm sure there are people out there for whom this where to now St. Peter is the standard version. And they have found the single tracked version when it came out on CD to be unfamiliar and wrong. But it's not me. I don't like the Uni Mix at all. I'm not a fan of the double tracking. I don't like the way the piano is boosted in volume towards the end of the chorus. I like hearing the extra guitars though. I'm always happy to be hearing a bit more Caleb. If you look through the history of Tumbleweed's mixes as they got released over the years, there seems to have been a lot of confusion. Later on, there were versions released with the channels swapped over, for example. I've also heard that the master tapes were considered lost when they were mastering it for CD in 1995 before they stumbled across them somewhere very unexpected. It seems that they've been confused for some time about this. You have to assume that the single-tracked version is the correct version since in the end that's the one they settled upon but who knows it might just be wrong anyway i was saying how i'm happy to hear a bit more caleb Marina as used in the Al Pacino film Dog Day Afternoon which was released in 1975 and set in 1972. It's set in New York so it's the sounds of daily life in New York that you can hear rising up Um, but if you seek out the video on YouTube it'll all make a bit more sense and you also see how well the song contributes to the atmosphere of the film. Like I say it's set in New York but maybe it's in New York from a different reality because this is certainly a version of Amarina from an alternate reality it's like they got Caleb in to do the mix for this song anyone who's listened to my Elton Berry Treasures episodes will know that I love looking under the hood of songs in this manner to see which bits are spinning which bits are hot and boy is this guitar playing hot to think that this was the first track that Elton recorded with Dee and Nigel and Caleb all together. They're playing out of their skins, but somehow they don't step on any toes. They dance around each other, leaving space. In the original, no one's a lead instrument, not Elton's voice, not his piano and not Caleb. It's an interwoven idea. But here, someone's decided to basically turn it into a guitar song, which is great. It somehow still works because what Caleb is doing is so rhythmic and so melodic the way he varies his tone just by changing the way he attacks the strings how does he do that? this really is a treasure time for a change of pace from the sublime to the ridiculous here's one of two jaunts in this episode into the ice on fire era <laughs> There are two 12-inch mixes of the song Wrapper Up. One is the 12-inch extended mix by Graham Dixon, which ran to an eye-watering 10 minutes, 25 seconds. That isn't one I'm playing. That Graham Dixon mix makes the song a little bit more robotic and less organic. It's got that high energy sound that was all over the UK charts in the mid 80s. He added in some synth bass, electronic percussion, extended instrumental sections, more Fred Mandel keyboard work, plus some string and brass parts that seem to me to be new for that mix. There are extra vocals as well, 18 additional names in that wonderfully camp section where Elton and George list the women that they truly love to be taking home with them and those extra names include Superwoman Elsie Tanner and Princess Caroline of Monaco, but regrettably no Myra Hindley or Enid Blyton, as we know from episode 23, but you did cheekily include those names in the original set of lyrics. The other mix, the one I'm playing here, runs to a relatively more reasonable eight minutes. This is the Stock, Aitken and Waterman club mix, which was a white label only release, designed to be played at the clubs. Ironically, um, Stock, Aitken and Waterman took the song away from the high NRG direction and they stripped everything out, apart from the vocals, rebuilt it from the bottom up. Thanks to Stephen O'Brien, who's a Stock, Aitken, Waterman fan, who blogs under the name of Keen Cantor Matowski, I don't know why, Makes him sound like a law firm, but anyway thanks to Stephen I was able to get a bit of insight into this mix. He calls their version a pop dance stomper and I'd agree with him there. One of the things they do is to actually change and in my opinion improve the chords during the verses particularly at the end. They also develop the chord structure at the end of the chorus. I don't know why Elton didn't make these changes himself. It seems like a fairly obvious way to uh, punctuate the song. And this isn't the only bit of restructuring that they did. They also added in the Dream Lady vocal in between the names that Elton and George call out. According to Gus, they were originally going to base the song around the Roy Orbison hit Dream Baby. But then George Michael said that if Elton wrote his own music for the song, he'd sing on it. And that probably led to the Dream Lady vocal being included. It happens only once in the original, but here it's repeated constantly. And then, audaciously, towards the end of the song, they engage in some of the weirdest vocal sampling you're ever likely to hear on a pop track. Essentially, they start puppeting Elton, making him say something that's very similar to everyone's connected to Blue Blood. the way it subverts the original. It's more danceable than the released 12-inch remix. I'm not planning on dancing to either of them anytime soon, in case you are wondering. I also prefer their take on the chords in the verse and the chorus and that blue blood thing. Well, maybe inspired isn't the word. Stephen O'Brien says that it's a bit unusual for the time that this wasn't released on a mainstream 12-inch. Like me, He enjoys the image of Elton, Gus and Bernie receiving this mix and being aghast that none of the original instrumentation had survived and that somehow even the lyrics had been changed as well. This amount of reproduction work in a mix was not common for the time. It was radical, presumably. It was too innovative for Elton's camp Phil Harding, who worked on the remix with Stock, Aitken and Waterman, said in his book From the Factory Floor, in retrospect, maybe we should have gone more dead or alive high NRG with it, because it kind of ends up being neither one thing nor another. Back to the classic era, here's a fun one that you may not have realised if you haven't watched Ken Russell's film of The Who's Tommy recently. The version of Pinball Wizard that's used in the film is a totally different mix to the one that was released as a single in March 1976, a whole year after the film had come out. <laughs> This was recorded two years before its release in around January 1974 at the Who's Studios in London. It features Elton's band, Davey, D, Nigel and Ray. There's some obvious changes here in this mix. First off, the recording was sped up in the film. The released version is in C, which is weird because I'd always thought it was in B, but it's in C. And this version, as it runs in the film, is faster and higher, almost a semitone higher. I've slowed it down here, making Elton's voice sound a bit more natural. The intro is different, with that organ line instead of the choral vocal. There's a lot less of Davies guitar everywhere. Elton's piano is crazily up front in the mix, especially in both of the solos, where he frankly rocks. There are more oddities. In the final verse, the camera cuts away to Pete Townsend doing some of his guitar acrobatics and then on to Keith Moon bashing away at the kit we get to hear both of these in this mix we've also got crowd noise and pinball sound effects to contend with this all syncs with what's going on on the screen but it makes an audio only version of this a bit confusing, it's still worth it for that piano work time for another change of pace. There's been some debate online about the new remasterings of the hits that have been done for the Diamonds Best Of. There are some out there, me included, who don't understand how it's possible for some of these songs to be as different as they are from the mixes that we're familiar with through a process of just re-EQing and the application of compression. Um, and that someone's actually been at these master tapes affecting some kind of a remix. I'm going to look at the one song that's regularly mentioned in relation to this, Philadelphia Freedom. (music) Starting off just by looking at the waveforms, one thing is very clear. The Diamonds remaster is compressed to buggery. So far, so unsurprising. Here's something unexpected, though. These versions are running at completely different speeds. The remastered version runs at 99.3% of the speed of the original. Pitch is the same. So this has obviously been done digitally. I know it doesn't sound like much, but there's no way that's accidental. For a song that's five minutes, 22 seconds, that should make the Diamonds version more than two seconds shorter. Surprisingly, it's not. The Diamonds version is actually seven seconds longer. Compare, here's the fade out of the Captain Fantastic Deluxe Edition version. And this is the Diamonds version. I've turned up the end to counter the fade just out of interest, but you can hear there's loads more here. Hmm, is it possible that they delayed that fade out to mask the fact that they were speeding it up? Seems unlikely, but who knows? It's very weird. So what about this mix then? Time for a bit of an A-B comparison. First up is the Captain Fantastic Deluxe Edition version. Followed by the Diamonds version. This is the end of the second chorus. I'll play about 30 seconds of each version. the strings gone why are the keyboard and the guitar and the tambourine so loud it's clearly more in your face the diamonds one but it's broken the rhythm track just doesn't seem to sit properly in the song anymore i don't pretend to be an expert i don't know the limits of what can be achieved with remastering but this doesn't sound like the product of just eqing and compression to me Maybe it is, maybe it's just that the rhythm track is pumping so much under the compression that the strings are getting lost, I don't know. That's just one song, online comments on the Steve Hoffman Music Forum suggest that the remaster is a bit of a mixed bag, with some tracks coming out of the remix process better than others. This is the only A-B comparison I've done so far, Um, I noticed in a previous episode that Sacrifice sounded very different and better According to posters on the Steve Hoffman thread, Nikita and Pimple Wizard both stand out as being vast improvements on what we've heard before. That's one for another day, though. I still need to do an episode about the vinyl reissues in general after everything's settled down. Time for a bit of magic. The alternate versions that exist for most of the songs from the film Friends... These are the versions that were used in the film alongside the dialogue. Um, I've seen them described as alternate mixes or mono mixes, but as far as I can tell, they're almost all different recordings. Let's start off with Honey Roll. We get a long snippet of this, but it's somewhat compromised by the action of the film. Um, just so you know, Michelle is arriving at her cousin's house in Montmartre, where she's supposed to be staying. And she finds a party going on.
0: You want to see someone? Annie! Oui. didn't attend for today. I didn't. I did Je porte ma cousine Michel. Viens. Mathilde. Bonjour. Jean-Pierre. Ça va. David. Je Claire. Bonjour. Oh, qu'elle est jolie. Anne et Philippe. Tu m'avais dit qu'elle
2: devait arriver
0: demain Je croyais. Enfin, elle est là. Ça, ça commence bien. Michel, je te présente Pierre. Bonjour.
2: Donc je vais te montrer ta chambre.
0: C'est petit, mais j'espère que tu seras bien. C'est
2: Tu penses de Pierre
0: Il est très gentil.
2: Tu sais, il vit ici. Je ne savais pas que tu étais mariée. Voilà.
0: Je l'aimais bien, ton père. Tu dois être fatigué. Je vais te préparer quelque chose pour manger.
1: What about this take? No backing vocals, no sax, thank goodness. We get a banging piano solo instead, as well as different guitars and different vocals. This is an alternate take. How enticing. It's not an easy list. Not what with all that door slamming and chatter, but I trust you'll agree with me that it rewards the listener's effort um, when you're trying to filter out all that noise. Can I Put You On is a bit clearer but much shorter. It pops up on Paul's radio for a brief moment. And what do you know? Once again, it's another completely different take. How I'd love to hear all of this. (laughs) Why and how they came to record and mix two totally different versions of the two rock songs from the film, we'll probably never know. These ones, which you can find on the DVD of the film, certainly seem like earlier versions. And it's not just the band's songs. We've also got differing versions of Seasons and Michelle's song. In fact, all of the songs, apart from Friends itself, are re-recorded. His Seasons.
0: The circle turns again Throughout the year we same seasons change It's meant a lot To me to start anew Oh, the winter's cold But I'm so warm with you Out there, there's not sound to be heard, and the seasons seem to sleep upon their words, as the waters freeze up with the summer's end, oh it's funny how young lovers start as friends. Yes, it's funny how young lovers start as friends.
1: What is there to say about that? Elton's vocal delivery is achingly beautiful. His phrasing, those lower notes that he sings, I'm so happy this recording exists. Finally, there's Michelle's song, one of my favourite Elton and Bernie songs of any era just imagine Elton writing this in less time than it takes to play the thing it's just so much a part of his musical language it must have just flown out of him this song is broken up into two in the film there's no way of joining them together so here are the two sections with a short break in between them
2: that's a way to wash come back
0: (laughs) (laughs) sleeping in the open See the shadows softly moving Take a train towards the Southlands Our time was never better We shall pass such sights of splendor On the door of a new life It had to happen soon, I guess Weather
1: Leaves us 20 francs.
0: We learned to be so graceful, watching wild horses running. And from those agile angels, we knew the tide was turning. All we watched as on the skyway. Here and circles slowly While we mere mortals Watch them fly Our sleepless eyes Grew heavy Cast a pebble on the water Watch the ripples gently spreading Tiny daughter of the camorg We were meant to be together One another In a time it takes To grow up
1: The second half of the song is somewhat spoiled in the film by being used in an incredibly literal manner. The heron, the horses, they both do a turn on screen just as Elton sings about them. You almost wonder if these bits of imagery weren't dictated to Bernie by Lewis Gilbert, having already been filmed. It's a bit chicken and egg. It's refreshing to hear Barry Morgan's drums break in, in between the two verses, as opposed to coming in after the chorus. My head spins a bit though, hearing the lyrics and the sections in the wrong order and the chorus coming in so late. But how delightful to have a fresh vocal take for this song. You just assumed that this was always going to be a one-time performance of the song from Melton. We'd only ever get to hear the one on the soundtrack, but there it is, a different take with all the sections and parts thrown all over the place. As I'm sure you've realised by now, this episode is not a comprehensive survey. It would take an incredible effort to document all the different mixes of Elton's songs. What we've got here is more of a gentle jaunt through some of the best and some of the more surprising variations that I've been able to find. At least that means that there's scope for me to do another one of these episodes at some point in the future so let me know if i've missed out any of your favorites back to the 90s and the so-called acoustic mix of you can make history young again which was recorded in 1996 alongside the song no valentines for the u.s version of the love songs compilation album History came out as a cassette single in the US and it made number 70 in the charts over there. But this is a bit of a lost song for us Brits. We might have encountered it on the B-side of Candle in the Wind 97. but That was about it. The released version is underpinned by a very average bit of sequenced drumming. Chris Thomas was at the helm for this one. But this acoustic version strips all of that out and leaves us with piano, acoustic guitar, synth strings, Elton's voice and not a whole lot else. This is a classic melody from Elton. It's very slow and elegant and his voice is so youthful and positive here.
0: But I lost nothing
2: when I gained you With yesterday's news and when you run your fingers down my spine It's like throwing a
0: switch on the
2: hand
1: YouTube fairly recently this exciting recording appeared an early rough mix of the song Pinky from Caribou I'm not gonna play it all here you can search for Pinky rough mix and you'll hear it up there it's got no backing vocals and none of Dave Henschel's ARP synthesizer this mix gives a different view on the song it makes it sound more like a lost track from Honky Chateau I'm busy. War. It's a true lost masterpiece, Pinky. Written, recorded and seemingly forgotten by the band Never Played Live. I've heard a few of these Caribou Rough mixes. None are as interesting as Pinky is. Although Cold Highway comes close. It's got a different mix on the guitars and again no backing vocals. There is a similar collection of raw mixes for some of the songs from Blue Moves as well. And that's what I thought I'd share. Here is one of the most arresting songs from that collection. It's Crazy Water, which has got Caleb's fantastic guitar playing very high in the mix. Brace yourself, though, because it cuts out quite abruptly at the end of the second chorus. There's so much to enjoy in the meantime. sorry about that jarring ending that's all we've got it's so warm and true this mix it sounds like an actual bunch of musicians in a room as opposed to the release version which is so much busier and sounds manufactured to me here there's space to walk around we just happened to end up next to Caleb's amp because well who wouldn't I can't do a show about alternate versions and mixes without mentioning the album The Superior Sound of Elton John, which was remixed from the original multitracks into a new dimension of sound, as it says on the sleeve. This was released in 1983 at the birth of the CD era. Gus Dudgeon was tasked by DJM to remix the classic era hits, as well as the epics Funeral for a Friend, Love Lies Bleeding, and We'll Fall in Love Sometimes curtains, into the new digital stereo format, as it says in the liner notes, he has tried to keep the mixes identical to the originals while benefiting from the latest advanced technological equipment, moving our listening enjoyment of this timeless music into a new dimension. Apparently Gus wasn't that happy with the mixes, he had to mix them in mono for the most part because of a blown speaker and he was up against it time-wise. He had five weeks in DJM Studios, wherever that happened to be in 1983. But he would probably have found the tapes to be incredibly disorganised and in a bad way if uh, previous experience tells us anything. As an album, it's worth checking out. Some of the tracks are quite different in how they stack up. You can buy it quite cheaply through Discogs, or most of the mixes are on YouTube if you'd prefer. Some of the mixes might even be improvements. For example, the take on Goodbye Illibrick Road, which has got louder strings and more upfront vocals. I enjoy listening to it. Probably the most notable of these remixes is Daniel, which has got a few material changes.
2: Tonight, oh.
1: Listen now for the different timing of the line. Of the scars that won't heal in the first chorus and also the lack of Nigel's tom fill in the main Daniel you're a star refrain again in the first chorus obviously these were overdubbed at some point but Gus failed to make these edits the second time round
0: Must be the
1: The instrumental balance throughout is also skewy. The acoustic guitar is louder and the balance between the ARP synth and the banjo in the solo is different. Good different, bad different, I'm not sure in this case. Those two messed up elements are correct in this second chorus, in case you were wondering. Listen closely to these tracks, hear the differences, and you'll hear a lot of pointers and suggestions as to how they were recorded, which bits were recorded together and which bits were overdubbed. Anyway, moving on, a couple of years later, Gus was back in the camp recording Ice on Fire. If you're used, like me, to hearing the vinyl version of the album, you might not be familiar with the extended introduction to the song Satellite. The vinyl version starts with that perfectly elastic guitar part, but the reissued version, which came out on CD in 1998, had about 50 extra seconds of introduction. Presumably that was recorded at the time and then cut out to make the track a bit more immediate. Possibly it was a mistake then, leaving it in when they remastered the album. Certainly doesn't add a whole lot to the song, but it is nice to hear Dion Estus doing his thing. I like the guitar work on this song. It almost sounds like it could have been on Meet His Murder by The Smiths at times. Here and there. I'm not sure who we're hearing where, there are three guitarists credited. Nick Kershaw, Fred Mandel and Davey. This is the only Elton John song with this kind of guitar tone, so it seems reasonable to assume that Nick Kershaw had a hand in it. This is a decent, fun, listenable tune. I've always said that Ice on Fire is my least favourite Elton John album. Looks like I need to give it another spin. Okay, back on familiar territory, and for this episode, the home straight. There's one item that's been the holy grail of Elton John collecting for me for some time, and I've been lucky enough to finally get a listen of it recently. That's the mono version of Empty Sky. It had long been thought not to exist. By the summer of 1969... Stereo records had become the norm, and often stereo records were placed in mono sleeves because people were still unsure about buying stereo. They thought that the records might damage their mono cartridges or vice versa. So the record companies just took the decision out of the buyers' hands and sold them stereo records that masqueraded as mono records. And that's the case for Empty Sky. There are many sleeves marked mono that circulate, but these all contain stereo records. Well, not all. Thanks to my correspondent, John McEwen, I'm now able to share some moments from one of these extremely rare mono pressings. The first thing to say is that this absolutely is a dedicated mono mix. It's not just a fold down of the stereo mix. They sat there, and rebalance the tracks and the effects for this mono mix. And in some cases, they missed a couple of cues or at least cued parts in differently. For example, here's the harmonica in the song, Empty Sky, which comes in a bit early in the mono. Okay, so we're not talking drastic changes here. Some of these mixes are inherently better though. Western Ford Gateway is one. The Harmony guitar has been mixed a bit lower, which just makes it a bit less jarring and grating for me. Similarly, Skyline Pigeon is a little easier on my ears, not having to deal with the vocals being in one channel and the harpsichord in the other. It was one of those extreme mixing decisions a la Sgt stereo mix, which became less prevalent once the 60s were over and engineers and producers were more familiar with using the stereo field. There are four versions of Lady What's Tomorrow out there in the world. One is the demo, which you can find on YouTube. Another is an acetate version, also in YouTube, actually, which has got an organ introduction. It went up for sale recently. It sounds like this.
0: Look up. Look it.
1: Then of course there's the familiar version with the piano introduction and this was one of the things that I was quite excited to check on the mono pressing which intro would it have I certainly didn't expect side B of the mono pressing to open up like this though Look up little brother Can you see the clothes From what I can work out, all of these versions, not including the demo, of course, are the same, apart from how they start. That suggests that the mono version, which doesn't have any overdubbed intro at all, might be the original, and that the stereo mix was done later, maybe after they tried to drop an organ in. Um, I'm guessing, again, the tone of the piano is very well matched in the introduction to the body of the song in the stereo mix. So it's difficult to imagine it being dropped in late. You'd think that it would sound different. The transitions from Gulliver to Hey Tude and then to each of the songs in the reprise seem to me to have been redone for the mono. It's very similar, but it's different enough to suggest that they cued all of this up and crossfaded it twice, once for the stereo and once for the mono mix. Okay, so we're basically at the end of the episode. Please remember to write a review um, if you've enjoyed this episode or even if you haven't, put a comment on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you've got any questions or comments, then you can email me on eltonpodcast at gmail.com or try the Facebook group. I'll go out with the track that finished Side A of Empty Sky, the brilliantly bonkers hymn 2000, Inglorious Mono. Stick around for the slightly surprising ending.
0: She chose the soft scent and took it to bed. Just an illusion To gain for the news of her brother And the comfort of mother Was just an appeal for protection For the cat from next door That I